Welcome to the LBCM podcast, the official podcast of Logos Baptist Church Mississauga, hosted by Enoch and Emily. In this podcast, we tackle your burning questions about faith, Christianity, and the Bible. Let's get started. Welcome back to episode three of the LBCM podcast. We are back in the home studios today. It's a, you know, lazy kind of night, but we're here for the kingdom. I'm back in the studio. Do it for the kingdom. (laughs) With Danny and Enoch and of course myself, Emily. And today we will be tackling the question, why are there so many translations of the Bible? We've got the NIV, the ESV, uh, the NLT, all these different versions or all these different translations rather. And, you know, what follows are questions like, well, does the existence of all these translations and versions really take away from the credibility of the Bible? And also, which translation should I be using and on what occasions and for what purposes? So that's the question we will be tackling today. Um, I don't know if anyone wanted to start us off with any preliminary thoughts on that question. Do you have any preliminary thoughts? Host? I mean, we're all hosts oh, here. Get put on the spot. <laughs> um, well, this is a question that I've thought of before because I am in, I, I do lead children's ministry and, you know, sometimes I'm using the NIV, which is, you know, the version that I usually use for my private study and for reading and stuff. But sometimes I will be putting together material for the children's ministry and I'll use the NLT version. Um, And sometimes when I use that, I, you know, I catch myself thinking, oh, is this like okay to use? Like, is this, is this fine? Uh, Should I be, you know, starting them off young with the NIV or the ESV? I'm not too sure. So this is definitely a question that has crossed my mind. Yeah. It's like, like, uh, welcome to children's ministry. Here's a Hebrew (laughs) scroll. (laughs) Get get started early. early. (laughs) I think for the most part, at least for my lifetime, I've been using mostly NIV and I guess re- more recent years changing to the ESV just because... Uh, so I'm not an expert on translation by means. Well, I'm not an expert in any of this. None of us are experts, right? <laughs> but, we're all we just trying are, to get by. <laughs> we're all just trying to get by. But I know that there is a distinct difference. Or I guess one of the main differences is the thought for thought versus word for word. So I know the NIV. So for those of you who don't know, is the new international version. That was, so that falls under the thought for thought category where uh, as the ESV is an example of a version that falls under the word for word translation. So I know there are different manuscripts, I think written in three different languages originally. I think it was Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew, if I'm not mistaken. And Dang. then you okay, a scholar over what here. Are we in school? I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if you're, let's say for example, you know, you're looking for more of an academic read, like you really want to dive into like a scholarly study, I guess a word for word is the better version to use. Whereas, for example, if you're just looking for a light read, let's say on a Sunday morning or just a casual study time at a coffee uh, coffee house or something, then maybe a version that is more along the lines of thought for thought would be an easier read. Or even, for example, like Gimli said, something that you're teaching the children. It doesn't mean that there is any contradiction between the two versions just because the words are different. Because for the most part, the manu- so the manuscripts that were originally written, obviously that kind of language does not translate to what we use today. Even today, we have so many different forms of English. Like Danny is very familiar with the Scarborough slang, for instance. If you've sat through Whoa, one of his turns. not expect <laughs> that wow. line of reason. Shots fired <laughs> mid-episode. No, nothing against Scarborough. I'm just saying there's different well, types of talk. Like Toronto slang. There is Brampton slang. Like There's a lot of different types of ways you can converse or kind of interpret something if you're having a casual conversation, even within the GTA. So imagine now you zoom out and now we're looking at, you know, internationally and not just internationally but when we are translating from an entire different language it's 
obviously very difficult to uh, kind of like if you're doing a word for word translation, it's difficult sometimes to capture the essence of what the main point is. So that's the reason for some of these different translations. There's more we could say, but I'll I mean, Danny, do you want to chip in here? Yeah, yeah, sure. I think uh, just to, to, to Emily's question, just about previous encounters or experience with this, like, um, it's it's funny. I, I grew up in the world of uh, King's James onlyism, okay, and and maybe you, most of you are, that are listening, are, have probably been spared this. It's not so popular now, uh, thankfully. It, it it's not a movement that has too much of a following. Uh, at least not within the GTA, at least not within my experiences here in Canada. It, it, it was much more prominent in previous years. And this was a whole move in the church, um, very much in the States, but also here in Canada as well, that said that the only Bible that was God's word was the King James Version. And, and for those of you who have no idea what that is, that's like the oldest version, or one of the, I should say, oldest versions of the Bible in English, the oldest translation, one of them. And so this whole movement was like up in arms when when new translations came out because they were saying, oh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's satanic, it's demonic, you know, those those aren't Bibles, that's not the word of God. And like, like and it, it was quite intense and they were very vocal and very angry and visceral and they would say you're not even saved if you're not reading the King James Version. And, and this is legitimate stuff, you know, this was, I grew up with that uh, in my, at least in my very, very early years. Uh, it, it kind of died off when I was maybe around 10, 12, you know, in that age group. But, and then, you know, whenever people had a word from God, a quote unquote, they're hearing a word from the Lord, they would always get up and speak in Shakespearean English because that's the version of the Bible they had. So it'd be like, thus saith the Lord thine God. And like, they don't even speak like that, you know, like in regular life. You know, these people like we were just chilling at Tim Hortons. You don't sound this way. But whenever they wanted to make it sound official, you know, because they have to convince you God is talking. Now they now they switch over to the King James. And so. I grew up in that world, and uh, while I have a love for and, and an appreciation for the seriousness that people can place on the scriptures, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate the reverence that they have for the Word of God. At the same time, what that demonstrated, uh, you know, saying that one version is the only version and that it's the only right version, and, and especially to label all other versions demonic and kind of dismiss the hard work that went into those translations, what that reveals is someone who doesn't have an understanding on how language works in general you know and that's that's sort of what enoch was saying like there are things that just do not translate period because language does not exist in a vacuum language happens within a cultural context and that is exactly what enoch was saying you know even within english and then the subculture of canadian english you can get even smaller the sub subculture of gta english even in those areas there's difference in terms of words that are utilized to convey different ideas and so you can imagine that the incredible nuance that there is to language such a task then when you're trying to translate a document that is thousands of years old where we are removed from that culture removed from that setting removed from that time uh, you, you can only imagine how challenging of a task that is um, but that again only serves to illustrate why we need so many translations and so uh, let me touch on that for a second um, in the same way that language conveys ideas language itself has various layers of communication you have what's called connotative and denotative language all right so you have language it's just like basic things you know hat table roof you know kitchen but then you have language that is more abstract like love how are you going to define love? It's not going to be as cut and dry as you would define a table. It is nuanced. It would require unpacking. You'd have to explain what kind of love, you know. Do you love, for example, a ribeye steak the same way that you love a soccer team, the same way that you love a spouse? You know, we use that one word in English for everything. People so loosely use that word. I love this. I love that. But we know because of cultural context that clearly they don't mean the same thing. Yet, if we were reading a document and we weren't in the time and we weren't in the room and I only read a transcript of something that someone said, oh, I love chicken wings, I would have to extrapolate that that love is not the same word they mean when they say I love my mother. Um, and so in that we understand that language, because it's so closely tied to culture and context, well, translating then and conveying the original ideas of the original authors 
is a meticulous process. It requires great work and effort and scrutiny from whole committees and councils. And so to your point, why do we have so many translations in English? Well, because the Bible was not originally written in English. There is no original English culture and context for the Word of God. As Enoch correctly pointed out, the original manuscripts, the original Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew with some Aramaic in there, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And it's not even the Greek that is spoken today. It is a Greek from the first century. So if we're going to understand what they're actually trying to say to us, you know, and if we're going to understand what the original authors were writing and the original context, translation is just the first part. And we'll perhaps later on get into a conversation on the study of it. But uh, just to say that, yeah, it, it, we have so many translations because we're doing our very best to convey a, a, the ideas and the lessons and the principles communicated in a text that was originally written in a culture, a context, and a language so far removed from ours today. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think English as a language in particular is particularly guilty or like conducive to to confusion because in English so many things there are so many words and terms that are broad or all-encompassing like I really like the example you used of love because as you said Danny like when you use the word love in a sentence it really depends on the context of that sentence like your circumstances as well as the grammatical context like what do you really mean by that Whereas, for example, in Greek, like they have various terms for different kinds of love, like agape and eros. And another example I'm just thinking of is like when people call things cute, you could be like, oh, my gosh, the way that you design your house is so cute. But that's different from, <laughs> oh, my goodness, your puppy is so cute. Do you know what I mean? Or like, you know, it's, oh, you guys look so cute. Together. Yeah. <laughs> wow, great couple. And you know what? That's, that's a great example because they could be saying authentically or condescendingly. Oh. And, and and if you're reading Susan. it, right? If you're reading it, oh, he just shouted out Susan. Oh no! If you're reading it, you wouldn't know, right? If you're in there in right. person and you have that context, but if you're reading it, are they being condescending or authentic? That's right. a great point, Emily. Right? Or like the word "sick." Like to be honest, I use the word "sick" all the time. Like, oh, that's sick. sick. Like that's cool, right? And every time I use it, my parents are like, "Why would you call that sick?" <laughs> They think it's, I'm like using Hashtag a derogatory COVID. term. Trigger. Yeah, well, and, so, that, and that speaks to it, right? Because, uh -huh. well, that, that, that proves the point. Your parents of a different generation mm -hmm. and cultural context from yours, again, they would look at that word that you're applying and to them it means something completely different. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and it's so, like, I always joke around with my friends and say, like, English is just the worst language because you could get so many meanings and like connotations wrong like especially in in this language so that's a really really interesting point it's really about the particular cultural context and so many things get lost in translation which is why lost in translation is such a i don't know it's such a prominent like figure figure of speech i guess or like saying in english uh an add-on question i guess so so for me when i like for example when i switch between niv and ESV, which are the two that I study the most often, you know, I don't see too much of a difference between, I guess, the spirit of the text or really what the text is trying to say. But rather, I would try, I would look at both. And I would try to see if one version emphasizes something more than another version does. And I'm just wondering, like, if you guys do the same thing, if like, you find that one version, even though the overall meaning might be the same the overall meaning of a verse might stay consistent but certain words are emphasized more or certain words are used over a different uh, over a different word in a different version to emphasize something is that what you guys find as well or am i alone here <laughs> so for context they're pointing at each other <laughs> silently right now because neither of them oh is that my turn oh i didn't know we're taking no, no, turns, no, I'm, giving, I'm giving my okay. brother the floor here <laughs> no i mean I'm in the same boat as Emily. I don't, um, like, I've always studied, again, as I said, in the NIV and the ESV. I do find that the NIV is a little bit easier to read. So, like, if I'm chairperson and Danny tells me to read NIV, like, what do it's you cool. mean by I easier usually don't, to read? Like, it just, in my opinion, it, like, it flows better with our understanding of the common, like, common English language. So, it's more modern for me. So, whereas ESV, 
like sometimes I have a little bit more of a challenge and that's why I have like the ESC ESV study Bible to help me out to sometimes interpret some of the language that's in there. Like I don't have any like specific words off the top of my head where it's like, oh, I've I've read NIV and like I find that this word stands out versus that word stands mm -hmm. out more in the ESV. So I don't know if that was your question, but I haven't. Yeah, I come mean, I guess that, different but... people like use different versions for different reasons as well. So my, I guess for me, it's like, oh, certain words that I feel like emphasize the point better. I will use that verse or that version to like for when I'm leading a Bible study, for example, or um, when I'm doing conducting personal studies, whereas other people will use a certain version because, yeah, as you said, it just reads better when you're reading out loud. Right. So. Yeah, I've tried to lean more to like ESV now that I'm a little bit older and I can understand things more. And bit. I feel like <laughs> it's just better to it's better to interpret God's word word for word rather than thought for thought. I think it's just a safer bet, to be honest. Um, and Is I think it? just to go. Uh, well, I'm going well, to jump. I'm going to jump in and clarify once he's done. Don't worry. I, I, and OK, last point, And then Danny can go because um, you guys were talking about same words having different meanings right. and you know the opposite is true also because you know you can interpret one thing in many different ways so like for example if you're telling somebody to like calm down you can say you know chill. if i'm talking to a friend <laughs> i'll just be like yo chill bro or if i'm talking in a like a professional setting or maybe customer service i'd be like excuse me sir do you mind toning it down just a little bit <laughs> or you can like i don't know how you guys tell you could be like relax or you could be like I don't know if you're telling your child you can you know you use different words but it Sir, all drives you home avail the yourself point. of a few deep breaths <laughs> yes exactly sorry wait, another Danny, way to do i know it. you wanted to seven but now i have another question because i know sometimes you know when you're preaching at church you will say okay here's the word in the bible as it currently reads in front of you right now but in the original greek the term that's actually being used is this 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 and this so I always wonder, like, why don't the translations have those words? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, if yeah, it yeah. if it hides so much meaning, if if the meaning of the word is so important to the meaning of the text, like, why doesn't the translation reflect that? So, yeah, I know you've got a lot of questions. We we placed <laughs> yeah, a lot a, on the you table. You guys put it put it but... work. <laughs> put me to work. Put me to work. No, this is good. This is good. This is good. So let me, let me, I'm going to tackle all this. And if I, if I fail to answer your question, just remind me of it, bring me back. But uh, I want to bring us back to where translation even starts, right? Like at least in Western church history and Western tradition, the goal of translation has always been to put truth in the hands of people, to empower people, the masses, the regular person to have access to the words of God so that everyone can know for themselves what the Holy Scriptures are teaching. So traditionally, historically, the Bible only existed, as we said, in the original languages and then in the Latin. And it was only the very wealthy and those in positions of power who learned latin and so regular people like us like the like the laity like uh you know just regular people they didn't read write and understand latin so they couldn't verify what the bible was actually saying they had no idea if the things that the priests were teaching them or, or communicating to them was even accurate they had to take everyone's word for granted and so Martin Luther, when he, you know, this is in the 1500s, when he observes that the Catholic Church is imposing certain statutes and teachings and practices upon people that are non-biblical, they're, they're saying things in the name of God, on behalf of God, that God does not say for himself within his word. It was at that moment when Martin Luther put it, took it upon himself to translate the Bible from a Latin that no one spoke, no regular person understood, into what's called the vernacular, the common tongue. And so he did it in German and so that the regular German people could see the Bible and know it for themselves and study it for themselves. And so the purpose and, and the tradition continued, right? William Tyndale is the one who gives it to us in English with the same purpose. It's just to give it to everyday people so everyone has access to the truth. Now, this is a, a wonderful thing, right? We believe as Protestants in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that we all are called to study to show ourselves approved. And so this is a wonderful thing that now we all have access to the word of God in a language we can understand. But there is a bit of a, a drawback here. 
and that's often not addressed too much in Protestant circles, there is a potential pitfall. You have given everyone a Bible in a language they read, in a language they can understand, but they don't understand the culture, the context, or the theology in the scriptures, and this is how you open the door for a lot of misinterpretation. Right? So the, it's kind of a double-edged sword because now it's not just the teachers of the word. It's not just theologians and pastors who dedicated their lives to understanding this book correctly that have access to it. Everyone has access to it. And that means everyone can form an opinion and not all of those opinions are educated. Not all those opinions are well-informed based upon uh, the, the teachings that we have throughout the years. And so the fact that we've given so many people a version of the Bible they can read and put it in their hands, that needs to go hand in hand with giving them the tools for how to interpret scripture. And so translation is one thing, hermeneutics is another. And hermeneutics is how to study the Bible, how to interpret it, how to extract the original author's original intent for the text so that you don't read your opinion and bias into it. You're not superimposing your preferences into what the Bible says. You're extracting from the text what it already says, what the truth it's meaning to convey, and you let that mold and formulate your own thinking and reform and refine your thinking, renew your thinking. Uh, so those two have to go hand in hand. And so... You know, when we come to the question of, well, what types of translations are there then? Because uh, you're right, we have many translations, but they serve a specific goal. Uh, Enoch already said, uh, mentioned two. One is called formal equivalence, or, or just a normal way of calling that, it's word for word. And that's when they literally try to get the most accurate, just word for word translation. If the Greek says a specific word, they try to find the closest perfect match in the English they don't worry too much about whether or not it makes grammatical sense in a translation. Of course, they do to some degree, but they're not so caught up on that. They're more caught up on the word being the exact word representation. Whereas the other one is called dynamic or functional equivalence. This is thought for thought. And this is when the committee or council that translates uh, uses a word that is more closely understood by the intended modern day audience. And so they'll take a little more liberty in not necessarily using the original Greek or original Hebrew, and they'll use a word closer to it that is more relatable to us today. Now, what we have to understand that happens here is if they've done that, when they've done a, a functional equivalence or thought for thought, they've done some of the interpreting themselves for you. Right? Because they've already chosen words that they think will better convey the idea. So they've done some of the hermeneutic for you. And so that means you're going to read that Bible, though it's easier to read. It's in a much more simpler language and the flow of thought seems better. There's also now an added layer of interpretation that you have to do extra work to vet through. Uh, or else you can just quickly assume that. Uh, with the ESV uh, or, or the NASB or the NKGV or the Amplify, these are all word-for-word -word translations. You have to put in the hard work also of understanding, okay, there's a word that's being used here. Um, what does this mean? Am I just going to quickly slap my opinion on it based on a current use of this word? Or am I still going to try to understand how this word works in the context of the original document? So my point here with both of these is that either way, you are not excused from the responsibility of studying. Uh, just because you, whether you choose a translation because it's easier to read, the language is smoother, it seems more natural to our common tongue, or whether you choose a translation that tries hard to be more uh, authentic to the original word choice, either way, you need to do the hard work of studying and applying proper hermeneutical tools in your interpretation and so to answer Emily's question then, why don't they just use, for instance, if, if as, I, as I've done in my sermons, I'll, I'll educate the, the congregation on a specific word and I'll say, well, this is what the English says, but in the Greek it says this. And I'll explain, well, if you did that, you are that's not the process of translation. That's the process of interpretation because now you'd have to do that with every single word because you'd have to also teach the nuances of every single potential word. And so the Amplified Bible actually tries to do some of this. And the NET, the NET Bible, also tries to do this. The Amplified will literally give you like four or five potential ways to say something. And while that's helpful to some degree, because you can see how that word has been and can be applied within the text, that now gives you four extra things to choose from as to how you're going to interpret this passage. And if you don't have the tools to do that, it's just going to confuse you more. So it's not always a wise thing to go that route. 
the NET, what they've done is their entire translation committee and council has literally put, I think it's something like, I don't know, 15,000 or maybe more notes in their Bible that show you where they've made a word choice and why. And so they give you even where they've disagreed or where they're unsure. And now that might be fascinating to some to see where this professional translation committee has made a specific word choice and why. But that's also going to open you up to even more frustration and confusion because it's overcomplicating matters, especially for just everyday readers who aren't theologians and, and theology students. You know, and that's not even touching the third type of translation, which is a paraphrase. It's not even a translation. And yet that's become so prevalent, right? Like things like the CEV, the TLB, or my least favorite is the message. Now, no, no diss to uh, Eugene Peterson because he himself admitted that he wasn't setting out to write a Bible, but a paraphrase. But people have taken his the book he put together and they've given it the same weight and credibility of the eternal words of God. And they can't be because he's taken far too much poetic liberty where you've lost a lot of the original content, a lot of the original nuance. Uh, and, and now, you know, th that's how you have this whole, um, you know, that game when you're young, broken telephone. You know, mm -hmm. you, you give the original message, but by the time it's gone through like 30 people at the end, it's never the same message that was originally given. Well, the more times you have to do that, uh, the harder it's going to be for you to extract what the original author wanted you to get away with. And so, yeah, when it comes to translation, then I, I, I say do your study regardless. I think if you're taking the study seriously, you should have at least three translations open before you anyways. Right. Because it's helpful for you to have that, uh, you know, that that in front of you to see and examine how different Bibles have handled different things. And um, it helps you again. It opens your eyes to uh, some potential nuances that are there. But I would also say, like, you don't need to be all across the map because uh, until you've developed the, the study ability and the tools and hermeneutics, you can just end up more confused than, than, than benefited. Just on the topic of study, I think because we don't live in that time period, obviously, and we're not as acquainted with the culture, I think that it makes the importance of using study tools all the more important, like, and tips, like, you know, when you're looking at a verse or a word in a Bible and you don't understand it, or it comes off confusing at first, like, sometimes it even helps to just read the chapter in its entirety, or to read the chapter before that, right? Um, I know at our church, we're always talking about, okay, like, there are some preliminary steps that we must take before we even think about really diving into a specific passage or a specific verse. And oh, yeah, you've been going to Sunday school, Emily. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's like more work, but you know, in our last episode, we were talking about how the blessing is in the uh, or sorry, the yeah, the blessing is in the asking, right? Sometimes, like even doing the work of praying or like trying to get to a place in prayer where you really are able to listen to God, that in itself is like a blessing. And so sometimes like when it comes to study, yeah, it's a lot more work, but the blessing is also in the in the study, <laughs> if that makes sense, you know? No, it, it, it does because I, uh, something that people don't often talk about is like, there is no license in scripture for us to be lazy with the word of God. Yet so many people, because they're unwilling to do the, the hard work of digging through the text, as Paul commands, a study to show yourself approved. It's the hard work. As the Berean Jews studied and, and they compared, they looked at the word of God to see if what Paul was saying was true. And God calls them of most noble character because of this. Like, we, we are so microwave in our society. We're so lazy. We just want a quick word. In fact, instead of even going to the Bible now, I'm just going to listen to a sermon. In fact, instead of even sitting through a sermon, uh, I'm just going to listen to a YouTube video or a podcast. None of these are substitutes, should ever be substitutes for the hard work I'm supposed to do alone with the Lord, with his word. And so because people are lazy and they just want a quick word, they've gotten used to just a surface reading. And so there's tons of devotional material out there that misses the point of what the text is actually saying. And so not only do you cheat yourself of the truth of God, you cheapen and undermine what the Lord was actually wanting you to take away when you handled that particular passage. And so uh, now we're getting away from translation and more so into hermeneutics, and we'll have to have a separate episode for that because it's very important. But it, it, they go hand in hand. Don't just pick a translation that is easy. I mean, please pick one that you're going to read. That's ultimately, you know, when people ask me all the time, which translation should I be using? I always say, the one you're going to faithfully read. 
Pick a translation that is actually a translation, not a paraphrase. And at least it's one that you're going to faithfully commit to reading. That's that's the best. That's the first starting point. You should be reading something. If if you're not really good with Shakespearean English, don't tor- torture yourself trying to get through a King, G- King James Version reading of the Bible. You're not going to it's not going to be fruitful for you because you're going to miss 80 percent of what it says because you don't get it. Right. So don't hurt yourself that way. You want to know what God has to say to you. So choose a translation of the Bible that's smoother and easier to understand. However. That said, we don't ever want to settle for a quick, casual reading of scripture. You're never going it, to, it's, it's like you're at a, a gold mine and, and you're, you're with this pickaxe, you know, every time you study, every verse you break down, every tool you utilize to d- dive deeper into the scriptures, it's like you're mining for that gold. And a lot of people, they just, they, they take the dirt on the top and they go home with it happy and they stop doing the hard work of digging to get the truth that's found within the text. And you know, that's what leads to a lot of false theology and a lot of false views about God and misconceptions. And that's what leads to a lot of people being easily fooled, believing things that are not scriptural because they don't do the work of actually studying. They don't want to know what God really says. They want to know what, you know, might be pleasant for them to hear. And so I just encourage you in this whole conversation of translation, uh, which translation you're going to use and this conversation, we're probably gonna have to do a next episode on this. It's got to go hand in hand with studying and how do you study this translation that you have chosen? Yeah. And to add another layer to that, I think another thing to avoid is to kind of hyper emotionalize the text. Like for instance, so I can give an example that happened when I went to a concert this one time, like a Christian concert. And then I won't say who it was who was performing, but I'll just say the person who was on stage, as she was explaining one of the songs that she had written, she uh, was talking about it. And then um, she was just talking about the inspiration behind her song. And then uh, all of a sudden she said, you know, I was reading this scripture and this quote uh, and this version really stood out for me. And it's from the Passion Translation. And I said, whoa. Wait a second. Whoa. What is that? <laughs> so I was like, oh, red flag a little bit. And then um, she was quoting Psalm 23, which is a very famous one. And like the whole thing was very much changed. So from what I've heard, the passion translation is like worse than the message. So yeah, just look out for that. And, you know, don't try to, you know, at the end of the day, God's word is to like, yes, you can use it to benefit yourself. And yes, there are times where you know, emotionally, uh, there is an emotional aspect to it, but just don't like hyper emotionalize the reading of the word because, you know, it's not about, you know, oh, like, what can this text do for me? Like, what, how, how does it speak to my life specifically? Um, at the end of the day, the truth is the truth. And some, sometimes like, no matter how you slice it, you know, it is, it is just what it is. So no, that, that's great. Like, listen, man, like, Second Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if I've gone to the Bible and I don't ever, if, if I've never walked away from scripture feeling rebuked or corrected, then I've not read it correctly. <laughs> because the Bible itself says its purpose and its function is to teach me, to rebuke me, to correct me, and to train me in righteousness. If all I get is emotional tingles and, and hype bubbles, and I walk away with my happy word for the day, and never once am I brokenhearted as the mirror of the word of God reveals to me my own sinfulness and conveys to me my need for repentance. Like if I've never been challenged by the Bible, I've not read it correctly. I've missed the whole point because it's not there to make me feel good. I'm not good. I'm a sinner. It's there to reveal to me the things that God needs to work in my life because I'm a sinner. So there's something there. Like, think about how inspirational this is. You can tell me if this would be great if I could put this maybe on a bumper sticker or if you got this as a card. I said, okay, here, I want to quote to you from the word of God, brother. Hear the word of the Lord. All the kingdoms and their splendor I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. (laughs) Doesn't that sound so nice? 
Very good. That sounds so beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> until we realize that's what Satan says to Jesus in the temptations. Yet I've actually been, not even lying, I've legitimately been in a Christian bookstore that they give you those verses of the day in the calendar. And this was one of the verses for a devotion of the day where someone's supposed to walk away here. No context, no explanation. Oh, this is my word for the day. If I bow down and... No, the devil was saying this. The deceiver was saying this. So this is my point. Like... I need to sort of watch my approach. I need to check my own motives in going to the word of God. Am I going there to be coddled? This is now opening doors for another episode for sure. But, you know, is, is, is this whole my approach? Is Jesus my lover and my my sweetheart, my boyfriend? Or, or is he my Lord, my God and my king? And is he there then to do some work in my life? Am I going to the word of God to understand more about God and who he is? Or am I trying to superimpose my own comforts and imaginings about God into the text so I can walk away unchallenged and unchanged? Uh, so translation plays a role. It certainly does. And, and Enoch highlighted that poor excuse for a Bible. Uh, it's not. Don't read it. You also got to be careful with translations too. That's what happens when you give anyone, you know, Google Translate. Now, now anyone can give you a version that they want and, and they've missed completely. They've not done the work of trying to guard the original author's original intent so in a sense i guess we really really do have to do a next uh, episode on hermeneutics because it's impossible to have an intelligible conversation about translations without having immediately a conversation about how to handle those translations the process of, of study because they gotta go hand in hand uh, god didn't give us his word in a vacuum he also gave us the resources necessary i mean if the word of god was enough the Lord would have never instituted the offices of pastors and teachers. Right, but the very fact that God ordains and calls pastors and teachers and then tells them not many should want to teach for you'll be judged twice as hard tells us that there is a, a real importance in the um, position and role of those who teach the word of God and that the community of faith needs them along with the Bible they've been given. So there is something to be said about that tension that has to be held between both the translation that I utilize as well as the hermeneutical tools and resources that I apply. And there's also a, a bit of a tension between is it better to err on the side of word for word or thought for thought, you know, as Enoch and I were kind of almost kind of debating before, like, you know, I was, I was kind of on the side of thought for thought because I was thinking, you know, it's important that people understand the Bible. You know, sometimes you you get a word and if you don't have the right resources and tools, you could misinterpret it just because it's not thought for thought. But yeah, on the other hand, if you have something that is too, <laughs> you know, like too much towards the other side where you are basically reading something that has been interpreted by somebody else and you are not getting that word for word and you're not putting in the work to interpret it yourself, then you fall prey to to other things, to misinterpretation as well. So it's a really fine balance. Uh, I, I mean, for me, like I would say, uh, uh, go for the version that is widely accepted like i feel like a lot of people under hopefully understand that the passion translation or the passion version is not it <laughs> um <laughs> well it's not the inspired right. word of god because it doesn't do any effort to actually translate what's there yeah yeah so you know like get a second opinion from <laughs> from other people around you if you have any doubts as to what you're reading you know if you have any uh suspicions and you know i t i definitely echo danny um doing like a follow-up to this episode because there's a lot we can still say about hermeneutics and just how even like how to study the bible if you don't know how right um and there's also a lot you can you can say to because sometimes people will even um bring up the existence of multiple translations and versions as an argument for uh, whether, you know, to question whether the Bible is even accurate or whether the Bible is even valid. And so there's a lot of questions surrounding the word of God because it is so important um, and central to, to, to faith, I guess, and how God speaks to us. So, you know, if you're interested in any of those questions, um, let us know. We will probably get around to it, but we would definitely be more than open to doing an episode in the future about any of those topics as well. I'll say also, I guess just to kind of wrap up, I don't know how much further we got, but also not to rely too much on like study Bibles and footnotes because those footnotes shouldn't be telling you what 
their opinion is or at least if you're going to do a study bible find a valid one or find a, a credible one um don't find one that's like you know you're believing what the notes say more than what the actual text says and the only other question i had was hopefully this will be a quick one but i know that there are also updated versions of each specific translation so mm. is there a difference between the version updated versions and then the translation is it just a matter of oh you know over time again you know words change meanings of words change like for example like just off the top of my head like i know like the word charity in like the old testament or something means like complete something completely different than like our modern day thinking of charity like i, I forget what it was but i it just came up in my head but like is it just a matter of modernizing the language and not so much the intensity of like actual translation uh, yeah well t to answer that one specifically it depends on who's doing the translating because some translation committees their motive is as you've expressed simply to be as readable to current modern readers as possible so the niv itself for instance has gone through a lot of updates um, you'll notice that the pre-2011 niv does not use you know, for instance, gender inclusive language, it is all in the, the original use of what the Greek or Hebrew would have been, right? Because other languages, and that's hard, again, that's a, that's a concept that's difficult if you, if you only ever speak English, but many languages have masculine and feminine words. Um, it's just how the grammar and the language has been designed. And so the Hebrew and the Greek will give a specific tense the older translations preserve that where newer translations will try to modernize it to be more gender neutral so an example of that is older translations of the niv will say mankind and you know for whatever reason i can't speak to the bias as to why you know i don't know if they're trying to capitulate to social sensitivities nowadays or if they're genuinely trying to um convey an idea that is more universally accepted i don't know the bias i was not on those councils but instead of saying mankind the niv now the new niv says humankind right and and so the same idea is there right because the old translation when it said mankind was meaning humankind right humanity we know that but in those days you know pre-2011 era all of english society used that word to mean that thing nowadays that's a very triggered term uh, just the way society has gone and so you know it's it's possible that translation committees simply try to use a word that is more widely understood today but again too much translations now you start to change too much and so i think the question becomes why are you changing it when you give a change of translation what is the motivation behind that translation is it to again just give modern day hearers what they want to hear or are you giving modern day hearers what they need to hear in a way in a word in a way that they can understand and so that's different for every translation. But I will say this, the multiplicity of translations, the fact that there are so many English translations does not in any way, shape or form undermine the credibility of the Bible. I think if anything, it, it heightens it. It shows that we take the word of God so seriously that we form all of these committees that spend hours and hours pouring into the original text to translate this thing, this this book, to give it to you so that you can understand it. I, I think it shows a reverence for the word of God that so many people are working so hard to get you the Bible, get you the word of God in a language and way that you can understand it so that you can be edified by it. I think this is a plus, not a minus. Agreed. Those are all my points. All right. Well, that was fun, guys. Good night. <laughs> Wait, did we hit everything? I think uh, more or less. I mean, we don't want to. I guess we could do another episode on the credibility or validity of the Bible that, you know, that's going to be another hour. So we're not going to have time for that yeah that's got to be a separate episode and uh, another one on hermeneutics another one okay um, and another and another one episode for you and for you and you for get you. an episode look under your chair you get an episode <laughs> whoa what is that an episode, an episode. <laughs> <laughs> perfect okay so one last thing just a closing thought that i do want to give when it comes to choosing the right translation and doing the process of study is yes we should be doing personal private study and having our own time in the word of God using these translations. Um, but I just wanted to end on this note 
at least until we can come back with another episode teaching you how to study the Bible, I wanted to give this as a parting sort of counsel to you. When Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission, in other words, the final instructions to the disciples in Matthew 28, he says that all authority in heaven has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he has commanded them. So there's two things there that matter that are kind of like takeaways. One, um, we're meant to be disciples of Jesus, not spectators. And you can't, you can't be a disciple unless there's someone walking through this life with you. Unless someone's actually intentionally pouring into you and helping you. You're not being discipled. Yet all who are followers of Jesus are called to be disciples. And so don't just be a church goer. Avail yourself of the beauty and the strength of a church community. And that brings me to my next point in how it applies to translation and study. The disciples and then thereafter the church fathers and church leaders and then you know, as it continues, pastors and teachers, they were charged with the challenge of teaching the people of God to obey everything that Jesus commanded them. And so when it comes to doing my Bible study, there is a significant role for sitting under proper teaching. There is a Christ-given mandate for the place of communal study and the role of someone instructing me in this in the formation of my own spiritual maturity and so when it comes to the bible grab a translation that's going to work for you a translation that you can understand that is in a language that is easy for you do the hard work of study but don't study alone find a local healthy christian community that can study with you that's not just going to be an echo chamber you know and what does this mean to you and what does this mean to you and bible study is just an opinion fest no 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 Find also a Bible teacher that is qualified. Look at what Titus and Timothy say that you ought to look for for the qualifications of an elder. Find yourself someone who can teach you the word of God as someone who cares for your soul. Someone who yearns to communicate to you effectively what the Bible says. And so that if you don't currently know how to study the word of God, um, though I, I'm a firm believer that you should get your theology from the scriptures and not from sermons necessarily, I do suggest and recommend that you find yourself a Christian community uh, and a pastor teacher that can instruct you in the handling of the text as you start to grow uh, and mature in the Lord. So I think that's just a a takeaway that I want you to have, uh, at least until we can come back here and, and do our best to teach you how to navigate the text on your own time. So for someone who's completely new, what translation would you or would we recommend? Are we, is it, would it be NIV? I mean, Again, it's always been NIV for us. So yeah, no, I hear. Like, let's say you go into a bookstore, you see tons of Bibles, and they're all different versions. Like, what's the one that you pick? If you if you are again, let's say brand new. Yeah, that that, I mean that that's fair. That's fair. I'm gonna actually say two. I'm gonna give two potential options here. If you really really are brand new, so you don't know anything about you know Christianity, you know nothing about the Bible. And um, like you didn't grow up in church, you don't have any framework uh, to to start with. I might not even start you with the NIV. I would probably start you with something called NLT, New Living Translation, uh, just because it has a very um, easy to understand language use. It's a simplified uh, language. And so if you've really never grown up in the church and this is your first interaction with the bible the nlt is probably a great place for you to start because it'll still convey all the truth it is a proper uh, academic accepted translation but it's much much simpler now if you have some church background you know and and if you uh, understand some of these you know because every industry or or people group or context has jargon their own terminology if you understand some christian jargon some of this uh, background then i would as as enoch said recommend the niv because the niv does an excellent job of trying to be kind of middle of the way they're, they're kind of middle of the road between formal equivalence and functional equivalence between word for word and thought for thought so uh, they're kind of your safest bet for beginners and let me put it this way nlt is great for beginners but it kind of will keep you at a beginner stage NIV is good for beginners, but you can grow with NIV into full maturity as a believer because it also gives you enough meat. So uh, it depends, right? If you really, really, really are brand new, you can start with the NLT. But I think the NIV you'll find will continue to be a source of encouragement and blessing to you even as you mature as a believer. It's, it's kind of has a, a, a longer shelf life, if you'll excuse the term, because the Bible shouldn't be on the shelf. It should be open <laughs> before you. But... Uh, but uh, 
but yeah, those are those are my thoughts. I think ESV uh, is definitely for for those who have grown up a little bit more in the faith. They, they they can they can ask what's next, get deeper in the study. They have more guidelines. So I wouldn't start there. I definitely would never start someone brand new on ESV. Uh, NLT or NIV would be my recommendations for sure. So in baseball terms, you get drafted, you start off in Double A. And then you graduate to AAA, and then you finally make it to of the big Of course, it's got to be in baseball terms. If of there's course. anyone who's listening who follows sports, you can put it that way, okay? <laughs> so NLT, NIV, ESV, boom, there you go. So it's fine to um, use NLT for children's ministry, right? <laughs> I, I I would prefer it because I think it's it's okay, it's still great. a good translation. It's just very simple. So don't peace okay, to you, great. Emily. There's no <laughs> you have authorization. Finally sleep at night. Um, but again, again, I I know we're trying to wrap up here, but that again that actually shows the strength of many translations. That mm-hmm. makes that point even better. If you were doing children's ministry and you had a King James version yeah. Bible, they're not going to learn much. Yeah, they're just not going to learn much. And so the fact that we've had a wonderful group of men and women faithful to the Lord who know their their languages and know their theology, who've worked hard to give us a translation like the NLT. It proves the whole point that they are wanting earnestly to put the truth of God in the hands of as many people as possible. And that just makes the beauty of the word of God all, all the more glorious when we can actually resonate with it, when we can identify uh, the truths in it that impact us. And so, yes, a great example as to why many translations is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So those are my thoughts on this. I hope this has been edifying and encouraging to all of you listening. And uh, it's it's definitely been a blessing for uh, for me anyways. Yeah, this was fun. I think a little more academic more on the academic side Mm -hmm. but i think you know a lot to learn and i think you know next week maybe we'll do something a little bit lighter we'll see or not next week i should say in two weeks from now guys i'm speaking into the future right now next two weeks from now when the new episode comes out yeah yeah don't (laughs) Don't commit don't commit 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 to the timeline next episode next episode episode. (laughs) next episode we'll do something maybe a little bit more lighter a little more fun and um but uh, this was good and uh again if you do ever want to follow up uh, if you know one of us feel free again our doors are always open if you don't know any any one of us uh by all means use the email what is it danny lbcmpodcast at gmail.com or if you want to know more about our church and have questions about our fellowships our gatherings because we also do bible studies on fridays together uh, you can feel free to join us and all of our info is at lbcm.ca just go there and you click the English tab and you can find us. All of our info's there. We'd love to partner with you and do whatever we can uh, in the love of Christ to help you grow in the knowledge of the Lord. There you go. So that wraps up for today and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.